0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, are poles dead? Are the Logies moving to seven? And do we need children's television? Welcome to the podcast where people in the industry get their news. This is TV Black Box.
0: This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry.
1: Hello, I'm Rob McKnight. We'll meet the panel in just a moment. But first, it was on this day in 2000 that Richard Hatch won the very first season of the American reality competition series, Survivor.
3: The winner of the first Survivor competition is... Rich.
2: Congratulations, Rich.
1: Known for his cunning and strategic gameplay, Hatch defeated Kelly Wigglesworth in a 4-3 vote decided by a jury of seven people he helped vote out of the game. Hatch took home the $1 million prize in front of an audience of 51.7 million viewers in the US, the second highest viewership of any American television episode during the first decade of the 21st century. The conclusion of the first season of Survivor paved the way for reality TV as we know it, where deception alliances, and an emphasis on strategy have certainly become a staple aspect to the game. And I remember him distinctly saying to Jeff Probst that he wanted his job. How did that go? Not very well. (laughs) All right, let's meet the panel. Tonight we have Matthew Simmons, the contributor to TV Blackbox. Hello, Matthew.
2: Hello, thank you. And we start with Survivor, so it's going to be a good one.
1: Yes, you are a bit of a Survivor fan. Uh, We haven't heard much from Richard in the last few years, so I hope he enjoyed his money.
2: Um, Well, after he went to jail for not declaring the taxes, um, I think he might have enjoyed what was left.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And he lived happily ever after. Love it. Also joining us is the man who knows where the bodies are buried. It's Philip Kosh, writer for New Idea and Woman's Day, among many other publications. Hello, Philip.
4: Hi, Rob. How are you doing?
1: Good. Thank you, sir. And we've got the viewer's advocate, Mulk. Hello, Mulk. Yes, here I am. Hello. And our special guest tonight is one of Australia's leading theatrical agents and owner of Benchmark Creative Management. He represents many talent, including Olympia Valance, Benita Collins, April Rose Pengelly, and a collet man. Geez, Anthony Kidd,
3: you are a busy boy. Thanks, Rob. Yes, very busy. Um, more busy, in fact, now that this pandemic has ceased. So uh, we're, we're back into it full swing, mate.
1: As someone who represents people in the creative arts. The creative arts did it really tough during the pandemic. How tough was it? Were livelihoods on the line? Uh,
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a real... um mental health issue across the industry for, for lots of people, cast crew, um, you know, directors, producers, everyone who really lives and breathes it when it's sort of pulled out from underneath you, we're, we're all sitting around wondering if, and when another paycheck will come obviously Mm. an agent. So I'm a commission based agent only. We don't make money to sign people up or, you know, send them off to different places. So if they're not, uh, booking work, then we're not being fed either. So, um, I guess the agent position really turned into a bit of a a support network and we're very lucky. We're a bit of a family over at Benchmark. A lot of them know each other. They've worked on sets together. So I really felt like we all sort of came together during the period and um, I think other agents and and places did also. But, um, yeah, it was a a really hairy sort of period and anyone that wanted to shoot during that time who didn't get to shoot um, are obviously trying to get their shows up and running now. There were a couple of shows, Neighbours being one, that, Shot throughout the pandemic, and obviously mm. put all those policies and procedures together to allow them to keep shooting at a very big expense. Also, so and,
1: and they set the benchmark for the rest of the world in some ways. So a lot of people were watching how neighbours kept going.
3: Yeah, it was truly phenomenal, and it a, was a really great team. Obviously, that they had there in the production and cast and crew. Obviously, were very um very stringent on on what they were asked to do um, in the hope that obviously they someone wouldn't get COVID and shut. Um, the production down so yeah everyone stuck to the rules and they got through and you know I had five series regulars on that show so I did actually get a little bit of a payment here or there through that you know show continuing but yeah it was a really tough time and we're all through it now and I I feel like all the shows that wanted to shoot plus the shows now that are shooting have sort of all piled in together so it's kind of we've had this forced holiday and now we're working twice as hard to kind of get all the shows (laughs) and entertainment back out to the people.
1: Oh, that's something. Let me ask you, do you have to be a bastard to be an agent? Because there are some agents who are bastards and some who've ended up in court because of their bastardry.
3: Well, I, I find casting directors still sort of, I, I can hear the smile through the uh, through the phone. So I think a few of them still like me, funnily
4: enough.
3: <laughs> <laughs> of course they, they, they get a bit... Um, you know, older and wiser, perhaps I might start demanding a little bit more. But uh, look, we, we play tough and fair. We're, we're, we're a good bunch over at Benchmark, very serious about actors' careers. But um, look, we're, we're also aware that people are trying to make things and uh, we don't stand in the way of an actor getting a role. We just want to make sure they're paid fairly. That's all.
1: Mm-hmm. Completely fair enough. Uh, Anthony, it's great to have you here tonight and great to get your insights in the industry, someone who's really immersed in it. So thank you for being
3: here. Mate, pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. All right, let's get into it. And it seems the Logies may be getting a new home, with TV Tonight reporting that Seven have secured the rights to next year's ceremony. Nine has broadcast Australian TV nights and nights for the past 27 years. TV Tonight have absolutely said this is a rumour. Malk, it's an interesting rumour because let me tell you this. Once I saw this on TV Tonight, I went digging and went pretty high up to several sources at different places and the wall of silence i have been met with has been staggering now that suggests to me it's too early to announce anything and two negotiations are actually happening so this is not a far-fetched rumor at first i went it went you know i thought nine had secured the the, the logos for pretty much ever uh because if we go back when nine bought Pacific Publications, Pack Pubs, um, they got TV Week as part of that. They decided they would be the broadcaster of the Logies. When they sold that part of the magazine business to Bauer Media, part of that deal involved Nine still retaining the broadcast rights to the Logies. Yep. Now, did that have a finite date on it? I do not know, but I find it interesting that this is in play.
0: Yeah, to answer the question you didn't ask, it would be a very interesting play if all of a sudden the Logies did appear on any other network other than Nine, given that it's been with them for so long. I'm
1: 25 years.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued, honestly. I remember the days, and this is probably me revealing how old I am.
1: 27 years, apologies, Mark.
0: What's two years among friends, Rob? <laughs> um, remember the days when the Logies were turnabout and even the ABC hosted them? Like the networks mm. shared the responsibility of putting the show on. Mm. Now it, Every it's year made it for would be a different network. It's made mm. for some great Logie's moments. There is no question because they owned the whole production and what that then looked like working, of course, uh, hand in glove with TV Week. I, I know that this isn't su- this 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 rumor isn't suggesting it's going to be that. This is a, a move to Seven permanently. It... I, it would be intriguing what Seven think they can do with it because I know that within Nine they are very proud of doing it. However, there's also the conversation that goes on behind closed doors that says that it's a bit of a lead weight. You know, to put the Logies on is an expensive proposition and, and the Queensland government have been helping foot the bill for the last few years at least and it doesn't rate anywhere near like it used to. So what's the did value well of It year though. Uh, look, it did, I think it did well-ish but it's also the first time back in a couple of years so people were tuning in just to hear rob get angry about the in memoriam segment um <laughs> I, I think i, I think the, the question really is what is the value proposition that seven think they can bring that will lift the logies or push the logies over the top because it's a three to four to seven hour broadcast um that is is a challenge to retain an audience
1: well, didn't Nine get a 45% share that night that they had it on? It was. Am I uh, remembering incorrectly? It was something like that.
4: That's what I read today as well, 45% share. It, yeah,
0: it was right. a pretty good result in, from a share point of view. Again, though, shares don't tell us the actual... Like, they give us an indication of how much of the whole audience watched, but it doesn't give us an indication of what the ratings were per se. So... share is great. There's no question. However, we also know that the other networks, they didn't try and challenge it. They programmed away from the Logies. Whereas in other years past, they've programmed to challenge it.
1: Mm. Well, that's okay. Um, Anthony, let me ask you this. How important are the Logies to the industry? You know, when you've got your clients walking that red carpet, is that a
3: good thing for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean look, it's TV's night of nights, right? And whether you're, it's at a cost to a network, you're still holding the mantle, you know what I mean? It's like, we've Mm. got, we've got TV's night of nights, you know, and then there's the actor awards, of course, also through Foxtel, but you know, for the, you know, for the, for the major networks, it's yeah, it's TV's night of nights. And I agree that Let's not have it monopolised. Let's see it bounce around, see what other networks can do. If they get a couple of years to have a go at it, whether they're putting it on back in Melbourne, Gold Coast, whatever that may be, um, I think it would be nice to share around a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's very important for our actors to get down to the Logies. We had quite a few there this year. It was probably our record in terms of people getting down there. And for me, I've been an agent for 12 years. So it's great to sort of see our clients um, being asked to go. You also get invited to the Logies, whereas the actors, you can pay, get a ticket, go along and have that experience. You know, you sit up the back and watch. But Logies is very much invitee, who's who, VIP. So, um It was great. We had April Rose Pingilly was dressed stunningly um, and she was a real uh, sort of feature down the red carpet. She she looked stunning. And um, Charlotte Chimes, we had there also from Neighbours. um, And it was a good vibe on the red carpet. It was great. It's interesting
1: to me, everyone looked happy to be there again. You know, they actually realised what they had missed the past two years.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a real a lesson for all of us, isn't it? During COVID, once we all stepped Mm. back out, we were like, oh, let's not take for granted these things that we do. Whether we're walking down the street, going to a red carpet, you know, seeing a um, a film premiere somewhere, you know, a lot of the times I can be like, oh, I've got that thing on Wednesday night. Now we can sort of go back and celebrate these things that we're lucky to do. And there were a lot of interviews that night where people were saying it's nice to get out and chat to our mates yep. again. It's great to be back out and celebrate our film and telly industry because, you know, there was two years where everyone was locked away, you know.
1: Mm.
2: Mate, I reckon it's just time, I don't know what the risk is, but someone needs to take a big risk, and if Seven gets it, do something big and bold, and hopefully it sticks, because, um, yeah, otherwise no one's really interested.
0: You don't even own a television, Simmons.
2: Seriously. I do. I do. <laughs> that be- those BVOD numbers are me.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. We're getting some mixed messages here because are the days of event television or 10-pole programming coming to an end? That's the question we pose after recent comments by Seven CEO, James Warburton, who said the network was less concerned about having the top show in a particular slot than giving extensive options to advertisers. Speaking to the Australian Financial Review, Warburton said the company is focusing on, and I quote, economics over ego and that the days of must-have content of or sport are over. But with the AFL rights still in the air and a revamped MKR, which has failed to deliver on the same success as it once did, is this just smoke and mirrors from Seven's boss? Well, the answer is quite possibly, because today the CEO told TV Tonight that 10 polls absolutely have their place, saying he was trying to make the point it's not just about the overnight number, it's about the B and it's actually about the whole focus of it. Philip, I am confused um, uh, There totally seems like he backtracked on some of his comments from the AFR earlier in the week when he spoke to TV tonight today. but let's let's talk about 10 polls. To me, uh, reality TV seems to be diminishing returns. so where does that leave networks trying to chase viewers?
4: Well, I think the term tent pole confuses people to start with. A tent pole is something that holds up a tent. So in, in, in essence, if the network it's something that holds up the network, of course you need a multitude of tent poles if that's how you want to consider it. Uh, and you know I know um, uh, he mentioned today that he would include news and other programs like that as tent poles. And of course they are because they they build an audience and any any programmer will tell you it's all about putting the bricks in place and building a house or a tent or whatever analogy you want. (laughs) You know, if if you don't have good product, then your network's not going to work. So call it a tent pole, call it a good product, whatever. But, yes, of course, sports still going to be valuable. Of course, the best drama is still going to be valuable. I think that was, I don't know, it was a very strange interview, and I think perhaps he confused himself because Mm -hmm. he, he sort of disavowed a lot of it today, didn't he?
1: Well, it came at a time when he's chasing the AFL rights but not wanting to pay top dollar. So mm. statements like that in the press, it's sort of a a game, isn't it, I suppose? You know, the, you can't see Seven walking away from the AFL without a fight.
4: But also some of their tentpole programs came from Channel 9, right? The, the Voice, mm. et cetera. So, <laughs> so clearly he does understand and value what a tentpole is. I just find it a little bit silly.
1: But Matthew is the future of um television ten poles is that the way the only way to get audiences in
2: Oh well, maybe not maybe that's what we're seeing um I, I clearly we mentioned news like, clearly that is a ten pole because that's the thing that rates well every single night that is what holds mm. up the 10 um but I just, audiences just aren't tuning in in, in the same ways anymore. And I, look, Warburton's been beating on this drum a little bit about not focusing on overnights and BVOD and, and catch up. And I feel like that's a fair comment. So I think that's certainly important. So maybe maybe the way we, we talk about the term, maybe the term tempo needs to go and it needs to be a new term that means, hey, things ebb and flow and it's changing and it's, it's more about the viewing habits than it is the actual program
0: itself. I, I reckon that it's always been about the viewing habits. And this is where I find the, the the questions in the first instance that Mr. Warburton are raising are actually really interesting ones and ones that we should be talking about. The notion of tentpole programming and what does it mean to networks anymore and all of those sorts of things. The, the, the particularly commercial networks are victims of their own largesse. The fact that they decided to strip reality programs and milk as much as they could get out of them over multiple nights through the week, is what has killed the nature, the nature of tentpole programming. It used to be on Sunday night you'll get this show, Monday night you'll get this show, Tuesday night this show, blah, blah, blah. You might get special shows where you'll get two nights a week or a doubleheader or something, That's big, but they were special events or, or really, like a country practice in its heyday, for example, um, two nights a week. But they weren't Monday Tuesday. They were split across the week. The the fact that Warburton has lent into this tent poles are no longer a thing. Hey, everyone, remember Bevoid and those sorts of things. Absolutely, as you said in your intro, Rob, sounds hollow coming from the CEO of the network whose primetime schedule falls apart after 7 o'clock. Like, falls apart. And the only thing that holds them up is the end of the week AFL broadcast. That's it.
1: Which is only because they haven't got the right reality shows at the moment.
0: The Voice does pretty well, but MKR just isn't hitting. But again, what I'm saying, is reality the answer? Like, yes, we've done it for so long now that everyone just goes, well, reality is the answer. Yeah. But is it the answer? Like, to be fair, Anthony's, um, you know, people that he works with, the people that he represents, are actors who... Aren't getting gigs other than maybe hosting those reality shows. And even then, that's not a promise. They would do much better from drama making its return into 730 and 830 in a really solid intentional way in, in that kind of. Now, I know that all of your streaming services are actually where we're seeing it because we're also getting it from BVOD in the same kind of way. Drama isn't doing anything decent. On free to air first run, it's all yeah. catch up, and when you want to watch it, and that sort of stuff. The the whole business has changed, which is what Warburton is both in leaning into in his comments, and then backing away from in the TV Tonight article. It's mm. it's just such a messy situation, and and without he obviously got blowback. Oh, and, there's no question, you know,
1: and, and has tried to set the record straight. Anthony, um, what are your thoughts about this?
3: Well. You know, we just started to address uh, the elephant in the room, didn't we? The the streamers. How, I guess the question, Mm. how do we compete against huge budgets, massive, massive production studios coming out here now? They are setting up out here and, you know, our actors are all chasing US accented work from... The stands, the Netflix, um, the Amazons, you know, Paramount Plus is another really, really big one. We're seeing a big push mm. for those guys. You might even notice around a lot of the bus stops when you're driving through Sydney or wherever you guys are, um, the Paramount Plus advertising that's on those pre rolls and the bus sites is they're just everywhere. So these guys are coming in. So you know these commercial networks have to go all right do we try and compete with that or do we have to go and head towards being the sport and reality you know um cheaper quote unquote um, broadcast shows to sort of bring the people across that way because it, it is it,
1: funny when we say 20 million for a six run six week run series is cheap
3: yeah well you know, those those shows are here to stay, and, and we can see them being passed around, getting, you know, better offers here and there from, you know, the other networks, and they do grab them often from time to time, as we said, The Voice being one. Um, and you know, there's a lot of viewers that are really getting locked into those shows and and watching season after season. You know, the latest one was the Lego Masters stuff that we've seen for a few years now. People people are enthralled with those shows because mm. they they're watching real people um, and there's no script and it's very entertaining for those guys. And then you've got the big streamers coming in with you know season six of something and people are so far down the track and they can binge it all in a night or you can watch it whenever you like. It's not being dictated to you and that's really I think just the way of the world now is people want to do what they want when they want and not be sort of, you know, you watch this at this time. It's like, well, a lot of times it doesn't suit people. We're a bit more transient and flowy nowadays, you know.
1: And that's the big transition TV is facing at the moment and and the argument Warburton makes about overnights versus the total TV figure. All right, there are growing calls for commercial TV networks to make more programs for children. Screen Producers Australia says there's an urgent need for local quotas on streaming platforms and they've also raised concerns over low children's content on commercial networks. In its submission to the government's national culture policy, SPA also called for increased support to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander filmmakers. A recent ACMA compliance report found without mandatory quotas in 2021, nine screened 47 hours of 1st release Australian children's content, 10 screened 40 hours, while seven screened just 6.5 hours, and that was produced in New Zealand. Mulk, why must we force commercial networks to make something that isn't going to rate? People do not watch kids tv on network commercial
0: television they used to rob and when we uh, only had limited options but to to be fair though we're not after we're not after people to watch kids television we're after little people to watch kids television and largely they aren't reflected in the ratings so the difficulty in saying hey um you all need to be making X number of hours of, of kids TV, or, or you know, whatever kids TV a week. Um, that's actually not captured in in the the ratings stuff. You know, around what's reported and how they give us that information. It is in in a a broad sense, but it's not going to give us the value for what we're not going to show a kids program at seven seven thirty. We're not going to strip it and run it like that. We are absolutely – remember when 4 p.m. used to be classified C, the children's half hour or hour of television because intentionally – mate, Wombat, Wonderworld, like you line it up. It was all there, right? All of that stuff was there. There is significant value in Australian kids hearing Australian voices and seeing Australian faces educate and entertain them not just entertain, educate and entertain them. And look, that costs money. There is no question. I think there's absolutely value in every broadcaster, every one of them having uh, an expectation. If we're going to go down the, the, the quotas route, then everybody has to make children's TV. Everybody. And I don't see a problem with that because that's how we then get not only our young people engaged in the method and the process and learn things and be entertained, but we also inspire them to want to be involved in this industry that people are bleeding about, that, oh, no one wants to do anything and everyone's got all the good talents going overseas because we're not inspiring them to do anything to stay here.
1: Here's the thing. If it was going to rate, it would be on television right now. We've seen with the uh, with ABC What rates Kids, at
0: four o'clock, Rob. What rates at four o'clock? Nothing.
1: Uh, episodes of Bluey rate. Right? There are kids. There, there's sure. stuff on ABC Kids that outrate the Studio Tens of this world. Sure. Um, and I, I, I'm confused by your message of that these aren't captured because ABC Kids actually does very, very well in the ratings. Um, my argument is that since ABC Kids became a thing, it's 24 hours of commercial-free, uh, kids programming. No, it's You've not. Got Disney it's 12, Plus- hours. Twelve hours. Okay. Fair call. you've got Disney Plus, you've got uh, the Disney Channel, you've got Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. So you've got access to these pure kids' channels. Mm-hmm. When a commercial network shows it at any time, whether it's a 6.30am or a 4pm, it's not a destination point for people because the first thing you see is a bunch of, as a parent, a bunch of commercials in there for stuff that you just don't want to be nagged about from your, parent, from your kids. And I would argue that... From a parent, there's no way I would let my kid watch a kid's program on commercial TV, and the fact is people aren't doing
0: that, and it doesn't rate, so we're forcing commercial yeah. networks to throw money down the drain. But here's the challenge, right? It, it rates in and it doesn't, but even leaning on ratings is the only solution, I think, is a difficult one, because we're in that that vortex now where if we talk about ratings and we're going to say ratings is the only way to solve it or or to measure that it's successful um which go with me on this because i know what i just said on it's 20 nearly 2023 most little people are watching all of their children's entertainment via an ipad or a tablet or yep. a something, So they're or streaming it even. So they're on the big television and they know how to access ABC for Kids or whatever to, to do yep. it there. So they were able to draw down on that and get access to that programming in that way that isn't broadcast on the thing. That doesn't mean that the broadcaster is then removed from responsibility of making it. They just need to make it and make sure it's available on your seven plus nine now ten play, but, so but that it's accessible is to doing do those. It
1: and we've got all these other options of Disney and
0: Nickelodeon and. and so why do we have else. commercial networks, Rob? Like, why? If the ABC's doing it, why does anyone else have to do anything?
1: Well, the commercial networks have a proposition of making money, and and basically sure. to do that, they provide programming so they can sell their their um advertising and at the same time thinking commercial networks are there just to entertain us
0: at the same time they well they have to deliver us news which is government mandated as a part of their license condition at the same time they have lobbied successfully the government to make sure that certain sporting events stay available on free-to-air television when we've had pay tv for i don't know how long easily 30 years and the bulk of the sport ends up there anyway and that these you know, picked and those... They bleat that they don't have money for a license, so they get that taken away. They say they can't afford or it doesn't rate. We can't make children's TV, but don't take our sport away from us. Bad news, friends. Your time is coming when the anti-siphoning list no longer gets to be the thing that protects you, because that is absolutely outrageous to say. oh No, we can't possibly do that, but don't take away so, the thing on, that makes us force millions of dollars. To
1: pay for sport. They're getting for free. They
0: already do, Rob. We're not forcing anyone. If you're serious about the AFL or the NRL and any other sport just about you are already subscribing to ko or to Foxtel. End well, of story. Do you
1: have the option to see the big matches and grand
0: finals on Freeware no, TV. It's not an option. That's be. the only option. You cannot watch the grand final on Foxtel yes, meaning until you're not it has finished to pay for on it wear. and that's the whole thing. It, uh, you, you're missing I don't the point. understand the argument, Malk. You're missing the point. We are allowing the yeah. free to wear networks to run roughshod over the conditions they have on their licences just because it suits them because they're running out of old models that Mate, no five longer years apply. ago, we
1: had a network go into administration.
0: That's sure. The, that's the financial realities of where commercial and TV is right And it may yet right happen now. again for all of them. That's the reality of what it is. If they can't prove that they can make money under the changing face of how we want we want to consume our media, then that's on them, not on us. It's certainly not on the government to prop them up, who take our tax dollars and allow them to go, Well, everyone can just watch the AFL grand final on free to wear because we think it's a good idea. So what are you advocating? I'm advocating that if if we're going to say that the anti-siphoning list exists, therefore quotas should exist. There has to be some mechanism that keeps the industry investing in Australian content while they eke out tax dollars that give them the benefit. They hardly pay. They don't pay for their spectrum anymore. because I, oh, I've we got can't to say, I, to I don't have poor. a
1: problem with quotas when it comes to drama. I actually don't. My, my point is regarding children's television, which is a a, a chain around the neck of the broadcasters. Um, No, but it's
0: that that view, Rob, that only continues or or builds up this view that children's television isn't worthwhile. Yet it absolutely is. We have the evidence of... We sitting in this podcast are evidence that children's TV pays dividends into helping shape who we are.
4: Maybe if you didn't have the quota or whatever you're going to talk about, perhaps you could have a network doing some fantastic kids show on a Saturday morning that they would actually put budget towards and make it into a good show instead of just doing things in a haphazard, we're not going to oh, spend no, the Oh, no, when we had Hey Hey
1: It's Saturday or the early bird show on Channel 10, great Saturday that's morning what, shows. That's what, you what I mean.
4: Like- I, I, I just, I'm with you, Rob. I just don't understand why you force it on commercial networks. I don't think it's where people want to consume it. I don't really think it – I don't. I just don't see the benefit to it. The proof I, I in
0: just... the pudding, though, is that when we don't make them do – let's be fair, niche programming, which is what children's programming is, if we don't make them do it, they don't do it. That's the whole point of this report. If we don't make them do it, they're not doing it. So if yes, we're happy that they're not going to do it – Well, they're not all doing it badly. This is the thing. But why is it bad if they don't do it? (sighs) Rob, I think that there is a clear argument that I've laid out, but I'll reiterate it in dot point. Australian young people benefit from seeing themselves reflected on in the television that they watch, however they consume it. I
1: agree it. with all that. And when we only had four channels or five channels, that was fine because we all had to sit down and watch it. My kids come home, they do not turn on Australian television. They watch YouTube. They watch the Norris Nuts on YouTube. They watch all these other things. They're not going to sit down at 4 o'clock and watch Come On Kids.
0: Well, I'm glad because Come On Kids hasn't been on for a while. Which, bad name for a show, obviously
1: but it was an institution.
0: Yes. It also hasn't been on for a while, so I'm hoping they're not going to watch Come On Kids. You know um, what I mean. Like, or oh, Simon Townsend's Wonderworld or whatever else. When, when we pour energy into making children's television, stuff rises to the top. It's like drama. If we're going to put quotas on networks to make Aussie drama, some of them will just pour crap out and some of them will make an absolute effort and turn out something half decent to actually quite good. The same thing applies to children's TV. All right. Well, the star of
1: British wartime comedy, Alo Allo, Vicky Michelle, has hit out against censorship after an offensiveness warning was added to the sitcom. She believes the show couldn't be made today because comedy is being neutralised and claims there is nothing in there that would upset a normal person. Alo Allo was one of my favourite shows, Anthony, when I was younger, you know... Uh, you're stupid, stupid, you're stupid woman, you know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, Do you think a show like Hello, Hello is offensive? Does it need warnings? Um, Do we need to put warnings on everything for the Woke Brigade or can't we just enjoy what was, what is?
3: Ooh, what do I say? <laughs> <laughs> You're scared of getting in trouble, aren't you? A little, yeah. And you know, <laughs> Correct. It's funny that I am because, yes, the world has changed. The guidelines of um, comedy have changed. Uh, comedy reruns are tough because um, a lot is not acceptable nowadays. Do you know what I mean? I, I think our, our our ideology on what is funny or what used to be funny has changed. And I used to watch a Alolo with my dad. God bless his soul. That was one of our shows. And we had laughs and the whole family sat around and that was fine. Nowadays... Um, you know, there's such an emphasis on 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 sexuality and, and genders and all this sort of stuff. Um, there's a real push also with female-driven stories or female producers, female directors. I think it's great. You know, the pendulum's coming out that way. Sure.
1: But this is a comedy set during World War II that played up to the ideas and values of the time.
3: So <laughs> I don't personally have a problem with it but i can see how it's tough to have these shows being rerun because times have changed and it's a really sticky situation you know there's a lot of films that we could go back and watch. And, you know, there's even stand-up comedians. I love my docos and I love stand-up comedy. And sometimes I'll put them on and I'll go, oh, God, how'd they get away with that? Mm. It was fine. Mm, it, was sure. okay. it was okay then. But nowadays, even my mind has changed. Even I now watch and go, oh, you can't say that." It's but like that's, really that's, isn't that. Isn't that
1: us growing as a society? And, and it, it's okay to look at something from 1987 and saying, we don't hold those same values in 2023 and neither mm. should we. Mm. But it's okay that that exists because that is a product of its time. Isn't that okay?
3: Um, It's okay that it was made back then, produced, and people laughed at it then, yes. I think that we need to really be careful about what we put in front of these new generations because we have done a lot of work. We have moved out of those stigmas and and types and stereotypes. So for us to keep going forward and keep progressing um, and keep celebrating female-led stories and things like that, as opposed to, you're a stupid, stupid woman. I mean, wow, that just would never get past, um,
0: you know, a writing phase, right? Um, no one's cancelling Alolo, right? All this is, is one of the actors freaking out because they put a warning in front of the episode, mm. acknowledging that the comedy was of the time and some people may be offended. Yeah. Exactly all of the kind of stuff that we talked about. Cool. Everyone gets to move on because we all hold the power in our thumb that allows us to press stop or to mm. change the channel. When you see, no, I couldn't if, agree more. If you didn't see the thing and you stumbled into it, I can understand how, mm. you know, someone who'd never seen it before, maybe younger, was never around when it first aired, might go, hmm, this is not great. Um, to get but some context point. or to have some understanding at the front, at least allows you to make some informed decision go, okay, so this is a comedy set in World War II that was made in the 80s, um, where the jokes were a bit ribald and certainly not of, you know, a similar standard to what we would hold around what's appropriate. Um, lots of people loved it at the time. Lots of people loved it at the time. And they may still love it in re-watching it. New people, and this is the audience that we're concerned for, might go, yeah, nah. But no I was no pissing by it.
1: the door when I shoot. Uh,
0: anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm loving English- that... The opportunity for accents again, Rob. That's really what this is a a key for.
2: (laughs) Look, no one's banning the show. No one said, okay, we're taking the show off air from being rerun. It's just a warning. Like, it goes back to something we were talking about last week, the Acknowledgement to Country. Who does it hurt to put the warning up? I just, I don't, like, so what? Okay. And, like, I've been watching The Office, and there's some jokes in there that I'm like, oh, my God, you cannot say that today. You can't make that today. And that's only 10 years ago. That's not 30 or whatever. If there was a warning every single episode, I'd be more annoyed that it had to be every single episode. But, like, so what? Like, it, whatever. It's just a warning. Like, I, I don't see a problem with it.
1: I think we're just getting to the point where people are fighting back. They're sick of being told that they can't enjoy what they enjoy, that No they one is saying they can't enjoy but it no one's wrong.
2: Exactly. It's just, I think we need to change when our attitude about When you put a warning
1: it. in front of something, it basically is saying people don't like what you're watching and you need to be warned about its content and, and people,
0: you, I think, and
2: that's why I think we need to change our attitude and it's not something you can do overnight. And it's not something you can get everyone to do, but like as society, as a group of people, let's just change our attitude about that. Don't get annoyed. Why? Why spend the time getting annoyed with it? So what?
1: Like, just so what? Jesus. It's going to get to the point where you you go to put on a show and you have to put your thumbprint on a 28-page disclaimer to say you understand (sighs) all the content that (laughs) might be in this show, for God's sake. Still to come, Paramount Plus takes to the skies, the spin-off we never knew we needed, and we'll find out what everyone's been watching before we tackle our group binge, which this week is House of the Dragon.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with me, Malk. Veteran stage and screen actor Josephine Tewson has died aged 91. Admired for her precise comic timing... Josephine was considered a gifted performer of great value when playing opposite some of British TV's biggest stars during a career that spanned more than 50 years. She was best known for roles in Keeping Up Appearances and Last of the Summer Wine. A new partnership has been struck between Australian airline Qantas and streaming service Paramount+. Plus. It will see Qantas customers able to access a super-sized pipeline of premium content from Paramount Plus within Qantas's in-flight entertainment platform. The service's, senior vice predes- Ooh. the service's Senior Vice President and Head of Streaming, Liz Baldwin, said the partnership further cements Paramount Plus as a powerful player in streaming and delivering an exceptional consumer entertainment experience. In more news for Paramount+, Plus, the company has announced that it will develop a spin-off film of the cult 1986 classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Titled Sam and Victor's Day Off, the film will follow the same-day adventures of the valets who took the Ferrari on a joyride. And my only question is, who the hell was asking for this? (laughs) And finally... A controversial decision to ban a bluey episode about farting on the American Disney Plus streaming service will be re-evaluated by the company following significant audience blowback. Originally, the episode was barred to American audiences because it apparently breached Disney Junior's standards and practices. But as the episode rolls out on other platforms, a spokesperson said Disney would revisit the decision. And that is this week's hatches and dispatches.
4: Not sure blowback and farting should be used in the ones. No, so. I think
0: that was intentional. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who knew a simple gag about a fart would be such a stinker for Disney Plus? Uh-huh. Yes, I'm here all week. Enjoy the view. All right, out. now get it's out. time to open the TV binge box and find out what everyone's been watching before we get to our group binge. Matthew Simmons, let's go to you first. Thanks, Rob. Um, nothing
2: necessarily different. I haven't watched anything new in in the last week compared to what I've kind of mentioned in the last few weeks, other than House of the Dragon, which we'll get to. So the one I am going to mention is the one that had a finale um, in the last week, and that's the the um, spin-off series of Pretty Little Liars, Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin. been watching that with my girlfriend, and I have to say, when I last talked about it, I wasn't very keen on it and does it have a warning matthew no not in front of it no it should have a horror warning though because it can get a bit scary um but just compared to the the actual series the finale i thought was a little bit exciting it was all what's gonna happen here and what's this and if anyone knows anything about pretty little liars um the is it the villain more the mystery is who is a and in the original series it takes seasons for them to get to that but you find out in this first season for the spin-off so that i think that's nice i don't know if it's coming back for a second season it hasn't been renewed as yet um but given that the finale was a bit exciting maybe we'll check out season two so fingers crossed but that's all i've got
1: thank you very much um this week philip i have still been watching goliath i'm uh, really nice. into this show i've made it through the whole first season now and i'm on to the set i took a, a breath before i'm starting to tackle the second season i um I have watched a bit of the first episode of the second season, but then I went, no, you know what? I need a breath. The first season was so good and so intense. I just need to stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great, great show. And I've been watching Doctor Who, the second season of The 11th Doctor. Uh, So, Philip, thank you for that recommendation, that group binge on Goliath. I've absolutely been loving it.
4: My pleasure, bro. My pleasure. You want to know what I've been watching? Oh, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Well, a lot of garbage, really, but uh, (laughs) uh, I have got a show that you all probably don't need to watch, and I'm not sure I want to watch another episode. It's a new show called Stuck on TLC, which is one of the derivative discovery channels. It also has uh, shows like A Thousand Pound Sisters, Dr. Pimple Popper, Extreme Couponing.
0: Come on.
1: But and stuck. who's the lighting director on that, mate? <laughs> oh,
0: This isn't even a funny joke the first time. <laughs> oh, stuck
4: is about um, people <laughs> that get things stuck in them and getting them removed. That's probably all you need to know, and it's pretty grotesque. But I must say I did watch episode two. That's all I'm admitting to. Why
0: do people have coffee <laughs> cups in their shower so frequently? That's the question I've got.
4: Oh, I haven't seen an episode involving a coffee cup i've seen an episode involving a vibrator and mm. a bug and mm. a, a bike handle of all things but that's mm. oh yeah okay all right uh, and then i've also been watching oh, i've re-watching the borgias which is uh, a beautiful sort of i don't know if you call it a period drama it's about the borgia popes in uh, the 1500s 1400s in italy and jeremy irons is the lead actor and it's fantastic but it's uh it's a bit of an old one i think it dates from about 2000 and Twelve,
2: maybe two thousand eleven, mm-hmm. comes with a content warning too.
4: Oh, there's a lot of sex and betrayal and all sorts of juicy stuff in that one. All right, and it's on Paramount Plus.
3: Anthony, what have you been watching? Um, at risk of making this some shameless self promotion and just <laughs> wrapping <up> some <laughs> of the shows. My actors, I are wouldn't in. be ashamed. <laughs> well, I've steered away because I, I, I got caught up on my next guest, which is the Letterman. Um, oh it, yeah, yes. And I I just I th- I don't know what's wrong with me, but I love going inside people's houses and like the Ryan Reynolds, Kevin Durant, Robert Downey Jr. on the on the farm was very, very interesting. And the very um Ellen DeGeneres, Lewis Hamilton from when he was a kid coming through with his dad, the the race car driver. Mm. I just really enjoyed. Um, the, the realism obviously there's some staging with everything right but um, yeah Letterman sits with them and asks you know th- they get deep on their careers and life and relationships and, um, <coughs> that's been a really good one for me but um, to just throw that one out and go into the wildness of train wreck is the other one Woodstock 99 mm. is it? oh I've heard about this have a look at it three people died they were they were blowing things up the place was On fire, you know. They tried to get Woodstock going for many years, but you know it was the whole the hippie and the mushrooms and all this sort of fun stuff. And then they brought in, you know, all these bands and things, and you know whatever the new kids are doing nowadays. It was a very aggressive, um, very very military kind of base. Um, location and the place just went off people were climbing up on the stages and throwing pieces of the staging and, and you know literally blowing things wow. up and it's a three part series on um, Netflix that is just out of control yeah. and it's actually really scary at how humans can just t- turn into these ape like creatures who just rebel and they just destroy everything and it starts the series starts sort of you know, after the aftermath and there's just it's just it's like the area has been at war, you know, or been through a war. And it's then amazing, they take is Isn't it just amazing. Check it out. Yeah, it's it's super okay.
1: crazy.
3: Super crazy.
1: I will and do you know what is that on Netflix or yes. where's that? Netflix.
3: Yeah,
0: that's Netflix. Yeah. So I think okay. it's three three episodes. Yeah. Okay, good one. Mark, what have you been watching? Um, the reason why you might have heard about Trainwreck, Rob, is I did actually recommend it to you a couple of weeks ago, but it's all right. I still love you. Um, I've, I've been watching Everything, heaps it's, of it's stuff.
1: Like, it's like layers. It, mm-hmm. Many people are week. mentioning this to me, and that's why it's suddenly starting to take effect.
0: It'll sink in at some point, I appreciate <laughs> if we If we beat you long enough, then, you know, it'll take exactly. hold. Um, uh, look, uh, before I start on my picks, Rob, just really quickly, I've had people come to me and say how uh, incensed they are that I'm only allowed to talk about two shows. They appreciate and, my... Oh,
1: that's a letter from someone called M. Olk.
0: No, actually. But I appreciate the attempt at human nonetheless. Um, I've been watching heaps of stuff, keeping track with all of the normal things that I've been watching. Um, there are two big finales this week that I'm just... One I haven't seen and one I have. Um, I will talk about one of them. The 12 on Foxtel has been a, a tour de force of Australian drama. Um, an absolutely incredible story, very very well told a great cast uh and and for mine brooke satchwell stands up head and shoulders as the star of that that series uh it's been an incredible look at not just the case which in episode 10 we get some resolution we get to see what actually went on no spoilers um We also get some resolution for these jurors who we've been seeing inside some of their life, Mm. and we also don't get some resolution, which is really lovely because, I mean, that's life, right? It's not all about uh, things closing out. If you have been watching it, if you haven't been watching it, jump on. It'll be on binge once it finishes on Fox Showcase, which is today, um, you know, podcast recording time. Definitely worth checking out the 12 uh, on Fox Showcase about to be on binge. Do it absolutely.
2: Mark, do you recommend binging that one? I know it's on binge, but do you actually recommend going episode, episode, episode? Or is that one that you'd need a bit of a break? in Because uh, I missed the boat when it started, and I thought, I can't. Yeah. I'll just binge it. But is it, um, is it a bingeable
0: show? I I, th- I think there's actually a lot of benefit in just letting the episode sit on you, just because there's so much that happens and so much that happens between different characters and and different you know, slices of the story, sure. you could binge it absolutely, Matthew, and and probably enjoy it in the process. I would say there is definitely, give it 24 hours after maybe two, like watch two eps and then go, right, I'm going to sit and think on it cool. and then and yeah. work through that. Because um, you're right, there is some shows you can just bang and I've watched it, and others are like, there's real benefit to letting the episode wash over you and to process it and to think about um, what what is being said and what is being like what, what's unsaid in how they present sure. present it to you. Sure. Um, the other the other show that I'll talk about is uh, a movie actually that lands on Prime Video this week. Stars Sylvester Stallone and it's called Samaritan. Uh, it is the basic premise is that there were two superheroes um, that were twins that one of them was a good guy one of them was a bad guy uh the good guy obviously was out to save the world and the bad guy was out to take it down they had a massive showdown everyone believes they died they vanished but did they so the it's a it's a family film there's no swearing there's no boobies um, there's no drugs it is this little kid who believes that his neighbor is samaritan is the good guy that that you know was the the, the good half of this superhero duo um but no one's seen him no one knows where he is and across the series across the film it's 90 minutes do we get to see him or do we find out what it look it's you're not gonna um you're not gonna have your brain tested Uh, as to whether or not this is going to be a a mental process to consider. It's fun. It's certainly easy to watch if you've got um, young people. Um, uh, It would be a popcorn film at best if you are above the age of 16 and wanted to watch it. I mean, if you wanted to. It's fine. But that's the problem, is that it's just fine. It's not Mm. outrageously great and it's not shithouse. It's just fine. So, coming this Friday... Samaritan on Prime Video. It's a movie that's easy to watch that isn't going to offend too many people, that's for sure. No warnings up front, no concern about whether or not you have to go put a thumbprint on a script or whatever. I I also watched The Bridge on Paramount Plus and it's shit.
1: Oh, Malky, you have to get that extra one in there. All right, this week for our group binge, we had late scratching. We did tell you to watch the first episode of The 11th Doctor, but that was overridden for House of the Dragon, which was An obvious choice we should have picked. So we decided to make the change to House of Dragon. Hopefully a lot of you listening have watched it as well. And obviously you all know what this is. It's the prequel to Game of Thrones. It's set around 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. And it went live around the world on Monday morning Australian time here on Binge and Foxtel. Uh, Philip, what did you
4: think of it? Uh, I loved it. I, you know, well, I loved it. I had some reservations, you know. The, we're obviously doing spoilers, aren't we? We've all watched it. Yeah,
1: I think we can assume there will be spoilers.
4: The slicing the air out of the Queen's belly was a bit too much for me, to be honest. <laughs> yes. um, Do you I, know what?
1: Everyone's going on about that, Philip, but the thing that appealed to me in a weird <laughs> way about that is that it was real. Oh, look, at like, Rob needs his own running. That's, that's <laughs> what it would have been in that environment with that happening. Mm, it true. was
4: real and and I don't get I
1: actually don't get the controversy.
4: Well it was just very graphic, I Confronting. suppose and quite disturbing to sure. watch. But that said, no, I, I loved every bit of it. I um I actually started rewatching Game of Thrones for the third time to prepare myself. Excellent. I i decided I wasn't quite that level of nerd because the second viewing I loved because I binged it after watching it for initially week by week. Uh, and that was awesome, uh, and the third time was just a little bit of hard work, really, because I knew it all. Um, that said, I will. I'd really like to binge this, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to resist watching it week by week.
3: Okay, Anthony, what did you think of it? Um, amazing, loved it. You no, know, this is this high production value that we speak of. That mm. you know, our commercial yeah. networks go. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> What are we going to do? Let's you know. Let's exactly. Go, How do they compete? Reality. Let's go sport. Let's go whatever because yeah. you can't compete with that stuff. The, yeah. the 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 script, the depth of character, the costuming, the sets, location, the animation. It just it just blows everything apart. I think the exciting part for me is um, there is an Australian actor, Ryan Corr um so he was cast in this and we actually had the brief on this one to put actors forward and you know basically a, a very good australian actor ryan core has um you know landed a role in it so uh very exciting for aussies who Great. can pick up work in, in so hang
1: on the levels. the casting people for house of the dragon actually sent the brief to australian agents
3: yeah for actors mm.
1: That's great. Were they specifically looking for Australians or they were just casting a very wide net?
3: Um, look, it was a while ago now. I think it's just a, a worldwide search for yeah these wonderful people that awesome. they, they find and, you know, put together. So, uh, yeah, he, he got one. But, yeah, we certainly had those auditions and, you know, we get – these bigger ones, um, you know, we get our hands on them nowadays. It's great. The, the Australian actors are really sought after. We, we've known that because Americans have all often tried to pull the Australians out there to L.A. and managers and agents want them out there so they can get them in the room to audition. Now it's all changed with COVID. Everyone can self-tape from anywhere around the world. So yeah, this thing actually similar to what I'm in here, although this would be blue with the camera and a great microphone, and they're taping from all over the world Sending their tape, you've got the director sitting yeah. there going, watching all the tapes, going, mm. Oh, interesting, shortlist. He's interesting, he's interesting. And you know, some actors are turning up and walking on set day one, they haven't met a person in real life. Mm. <laughs> mm.
2: No chemistry tests, yeah.
3: Yeah, Amazing. chemistry tests, everything is done via mm. um, Zoom and whatnot. And you're walking on day one going, Hello, nice to meet you. Great, stand over there, hop into costume, let's go. Mm. It was Number really 16. interesting.
0: At the sorry to jump in on you, Matthew. Um, at Foxtel Binge's premiere last week, that that super producer Abby and I were fortunate enough to attend. Ryan Kaur was at, there as a guest, uh, and he spoke a bit about all of everything that you just spoke about, Anthony. Some of the the screen testing and you know casting stuff that happened over Zoom, and that, that for him it was really stepping onto set was the first time he'd met a number of not just cast but a number of. Uh, crew, director, producers was, you know, when they landed on there, they kept them in a pretty tight COVID bubble, but they were, you know, the production went really, really strong and and they ran multiple units again because they're all over the place around Europe and stuff. And and then on set in uh, in the UK, Um, it it was amazing to hear his experience in in it. And and of course, Millie Alcock, of course, who plays the young princess, um, uh, she's Aussie. Um, though unfortunately, and I think this is pretty horrid, like you know, the, is the I guess the tenor of the times. She's been handed off social media because people had opinions about you know uh, and wanted what, to tell Before the show
1: them. even launched,
0: I think out of well, uh, out of um, the trailers and stuff, yeah, they 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 passed. I don't get it. She's brilliant. She is great. That's absolutely right. She is phenomenal, and uh, uh yeah. So I just want to throw then also, and uh, with the controversy that did happen during the week about what um, Foxtel CEO Patrick Delaney may or may not have said in real life. But you may, were in the room. He may have said it.
1: And he, it's been widely reported and Foxtel
0: have apologised. Uh, they apologised if if people were offended, not that people were offended. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you want me to so tell you what I what thought did of it? what you think? Yeah, uh, look, stoked. It was amazing. I remember watching it and, and having a conversation with, with Abby afterwards about just how big it was and how, like, they've, they've nailed the approach. I've been selling it to people as this is the best of game of thrones like if you loved game of thrones at its peak this is where you come in with house of the dragon they have they've Mm. just come in with great storytelling all of the money is on the screen there are multiple dragons if you're into that sort of thing um it's it's absolutely phenomenal uh how they're playing it out i have been fortunate to watch a few episodes ahead and I, i can forewarn you it only gets better it is the same kind of game of thrones pacing though where you get through an episode and go I don't know that we actually inched the narrative forward at all, but we met a lot of people or we we had mm. conversations about a lot of things. So there is still elements of that coming through, uh, but there's big fight scenes, set pieces, lots of great special effects uh, and some really key political plotting and, and, you know, backstabbing and stuff that is, is to come. It's great. I'm hooked. Mm. I'm in big time.
1: Matthew, I've got to say... I thought it was fine. Okay. It's a really good production. If I hadn't seen Game of Thrones, probably be in love with it. But after Game of Thrones, I was really hesitant to watch it. And I found the finale of Game of Thrones very disappointing. And watching this, I just thought, what's the journey it's going to take me on? It's going to need a lot of investment of my time. It was an enjoyable watch. I'm, I'm not criticising mm. the actual show. An hour a week I,
0: is a lot of investment of your time.
1: Yeah, I don't have as much time to watch TV as you. An hour a week. Well, it depends on my priorities. Well, doesn't we all make it?
0: choices, Rob.
1: I'd rather be watching Media Watch and and other shows.
2: But then, but then that's your point. That's your point, isn't it? Is that it's, it didn't make it appointment television for you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and I liked it. I liked the characters. I thought the um the the actors were fantastic. I thought the effects were brilliant. The storyline good. I just don't know that I'm in it. I uh, I think and I know it blew up HBO servers and mm. and you know like it 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 really um it, it crashed HBO and it was the biggest thing on binge I believe. I just don't know that I'm there. And I probably will watch. I don't yeah. know. But I do not have the same level of enthusiasm as what you guys seem to, Matt. What did you think? Well, you
2: just as you started, you said, you know, maybe if I hadn't watched Game of Thrones, I would mm. love it. I'm mm. someone who hadn't watched Game of Thrones. I, I I started it. I think I watched three episodes, and I don't know why I stopped. I think life Probably just got busy. You were six. No, I no, I watched this in 2020, so it finished. Okay. I knew it finished, right. and then so- I started it on Foxtel got through a couple of episodes and went, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I don't remember why I stopped it. Cause I remember thinking, Oh, this is, this is good. So Rob, you hit the nail on the head. Cause when you said, you know, if maybe if you haven't watched it, you'd love it. Cause I did, I thought it was great. Mm. It started off. I was kind of like, Oh, this is fine. But by, by the way it ended, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Is it something I would watch every single week though? I don't know. I think it might be something that I, I'll probably watch next week and then maybe the week after. And I, I guess it's got to hold me, but maybe when it finishes the first season, I'll watch like the rest of it. Like I won't be there at 11 AM to watch it. If that kind of makes sense. So I don't know whether I'll, I'll I, I don't know, I know. I, I loved it, but it's a premiere. Like it was big. It was huge. So it went, now Malk says that, you know, it, it's the game of Thrones thing to not advance the narrative. I don't know whether I'm, in for that, I not guess.
0: in every episode, but there's right. certainly in the you know the six that I've watched. Yeah, there's one where you kind of go, hang on, nothing everything happened. and yet nothing happened. Right. Okay. So lots yeah. happens, mm. but interesting. You kind of come kind of away going, I don't know that anything happened.
1: Mm. So well, what, here, here's what, the key, Matt mm. Matthew. I've got access to those six episodes, and I haven't rushed out to watch them. Right. There you go.
2: Yeah, see, and I've got access to it. I don't know whether I will. I, I might just wait. So it hasn't made it unmissable for me. Um, but, like, I, I, did I like it? I think I liked it. Yeah, I
0: liked it. What's <laughs> to say I liked it. What's been interesting has been how social media and, and even just the reporting around it, not even on social media, mm. uh, has played out. The, the figures came through this morning, Australian time, um, and it was, like, ten uh, over 10 million viewers tuned in across all of HBO's Delivery mechanisms, mm. so HBO premium cable, HBO Max, those sorts of things. That is the biggest, the biggest numbers for any HBO show ever. Mm. Oh, it was
1: huge, and there was a great video mm. I saw on Twitter where there was an apartment building, and you could see all these all these different apartments were watching gay, this House of the Dragon because all the lights were flashing at the same at the same time. time. Yeah, yeah, of, so
2: good. Mm. Mm. yeah i tell you what you know my measure of success this is how i measure that it was successful for me is that it made me want to go back and start game of thrones again and watch it so i think that's got to be a good sign that i want to watch the main series from it so Mm -hmm. I'll, i'll leave it at that
1: all right thank you guys uh does anyone have any suggestions for next week's
0: group binge Oof. I'm going to say that we watched the first episode of The Bridge Australia, which is on Paramount+. Plus. In fact, it might be on 10 Play because they aired it last night on Channel 10.
1: Okay. The, so The Bridge Australia. Yeah, yeah. Never so heard a, of it? I'll
0: it's a reality a TV show, and an overseas format. The basic premise is a group of people who don't know each other are put together in the wilderness, and they've got to build a bridge to get from point A across a body of water to point B 300 metres away. Hmm. To win two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in seventeen days, and
1: this is this is an Australian show. Uh,
0: This is the Australian version of that format on Paramount Plus. Mm. It was marketed as a Paramount Plus exclusive,
2: but then Mark they've they've put it they teased the first episode episode up on ten. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: okay. Sounds interesting. We'll take a look. The Bridge, Paramount Plus, or possibly Template is our group binge for next week. That brings us to the end of this episode of TV Black Box. Anthony, kid, you have been a delight. Yes. You are welcome back two more times, and that's it. (laughs) Two more times.
0: Step a card at the door.
3: Three stars, hey? Three shots at it. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Mate, you were great. Thank you for your insights. We've really appreciated your time here at TV Blackbox. Matthew, Phil and Malk, thank you very much. I'm Rob McKnight. We'll see you next week on TV Blackbox, the podcast. Don't forget to go to tvblackbox.com.au. It's where people in the industry get their news. We'll see you next week.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row.